Welcome to the Cross Line Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by KB's Parking on 321 North Main Street in Jonesville, South Carolina. They offer hand car wash, vacuum, and clean interiors. Full detail is also available. While you wait on your vehicle, customer seating is available as well as the dining area. They're open from Tuesday to Saturday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. So make sure you stop by. Today's episode is also sponsored by Big Ben's Desserts. If you need to satisfy your sweet tooth, this is the place for you. They have a wide variety of desserts, including cakes, ice cream, banana pudding, and my personal favorite, the Oreo cheesecake. They open Tuesday to Saturday from 12 p.m. to 8 p.m. and Sunday from 12 p.m. to 7 p.m. So stop by and visit Big Ben's Desserts on 297 Sparmore Highway in Lyman, South Carolina, where nothing could be sweeter. So today, this is another special episode of the Cross the Line Podcast Self Investment Tour. This was one that uh, just happened. Um, this is special because I made my flyer. I don't think I sent you my flyer or whatever, but I had a flyer for the place we were going to be traveling to, but I didn't have Clinton, South Carolina on there. Um, but I have a very special guest with us today, and I'm going to tell everybody how um, this interview came about. But he's a keynote speaker, leadership trainer, and author. I have Mr. Joe Pettit. How are you? Fantastic, man. So so good to be here with you. And, uh, hey, look, I, I know Clinton might not be on most people's mouth. Right. But, hey, we're going to put Clinton on the mouth. Yeah, right? right. This is my <laughs> first time being here and probably just stopping through here since high school. Um, yeah. You know, playing at Union when they consolidated us, Union, Jonesville, and Lockhart. We had to play them because they were in our division, in our region. So this is my first time actually being out here in a while. So I went just, I had a couple of friends from upstate that that are from Clinton, but this is my first time actually being here. So Yeah, it's good, good to be here. I'm glad we can make it, you know, make it work as, as I'm traveling and as I know you're busy as well. Absolutely. So just telling people how this interview actually came about, it was about two or three weeks ago, I went to uh, to Christmas Sun and David, was that was there uh that shout out to david he was the one that kind of helped me put this together because i wanted to go get some business cards made and he was telling me say you know you should reach out to joe i was like who's joe he's like joe petty i said i'm not too familiar with him and he was telling me a little bit about your story and everything i said man i would definitely you know reach out to him so after me and him had that conversation i reached out to you and you know we stayed in touch and i really appreciate it because i know you like you say you're busy you got a lot going on so for you to take the time to you know have this conversation i really appreciate you absolutely man it's always an honor to be able to share a story and also to see somebody's journey like yourself so yes, hey <laughs> let's make most, it happen most definitely because i think it's so many times people need to hear these kind of things because everybody go goes through something mm-hmm. like nobody has a, like a perfect life and a perfect background so i think a lot of people are really going to in, in, um in, enjoy this conversation but kind of starting out something that we both have in common is we're both doing a tour Mine is the uh, self-investment tour. You have a Seed to Success tour, right? That's right. Can you talk a little bit about your tour and uh, how is it going so far? Yeah, man, it's been phenomenal. Uh, so for me, the busiest time of the year for me is June, July, and August. And so mm-hmm. as I'm traveling around doing keynotes for conferences, uh, state conferences, leadership developments for organizations, uh, June, July, and August is super busy. So the Seed to Success tour was all branded around, uh, and we'll tease out a little bit about the book that's coming out in October. It's called mm-hmm. Seed to Success. And so the idea here is to get out and reach as many people, ultimately to plant the seeds, but also to get the soil ready, so to speak, mm-hmm. so that we can continue to make sure that we're pouring into the people because no matter what automation, no matter what happens with technology advancements, what I tell organizations all the time, never stop investing in your people because that's how you're going to be able to retain the best talent. So the C Success Tour has been phenomenal, man. We've been from 
I, I feel like I, I, I should just have a own a seat in you know, Delta's flights. Uh, right. <laughs> I, just, I just stay there. Um, but very thankful everything's been smooth on the tour and uh, just making a huge impact. Today we just finished up here in uh, Lawrence 56 and uh, head back home and then I'll go out tomorrow, you know, back out on the road to uh, Williamsburg in South Carolina. Talk a little bit about that name, though, uh, going more depth about it. Siege to Success. I, I really like the name, but what, what inspired you with the name and uh, how did that come about? So I have to zoom out to really tell the whole story of why it came. Mm -hmm. uh, so the big vision of my life, like the big purpose for my life is to have a place called it's a New Leaf Farm. Uh, New Leaf Farm is going to be a leadership retreat, also a community hub. It's going to be a place where people can come out. If you've ever heard the term to turn over a new leaf, it means uh, from the origin of when pages and books were called leaves. And so as you're turning a new leaf, you're writing a new chapter. So this farm is going to be a place that we can help migrant families, felons, and addicts come out, be equipped with leadership and life, uh, life skills. And what's going to happen is we're going to bring CEOs out to do leadership retreats. Well, now the people that have been written off by society are going to be the people that are equipped now that's going to be training them. Uh, mm -hmm. inside of our program uh, and so seeds of success was one of the first things that we need to do in order to reach that big mission and so what i wanted to do uh, i used to always talk a lot about seeds of greatness but i, I want to talk a little bit more about success because that's different for every man or woman and uh, how do we help them get there and there's a big framework i won't get too deep into that we may mm -hmm. unpack it a little bit more but that's where seeds of success it's all stemming funneling back to a new leaf farm absolutely what's, what's been your favorite thing i know we talked a little bit about about it off camera but like what's been some of your one of your favorite things about actually being on tour and on a, on the road oh there's no doubt about meeting new people uh and, and just really being able to spread a message of hope sp spread a message of inspiration resilience to be able to show people that hey no matter what uh, it's not over that's one of the catch phrases and so to travel is to let them know that no matter what you're stacked up against no matter your age your color where you're born so the best part is about meeting new people. Now, obviously, <clears throat> seeing new places has been cool. And I think what's even cooler is that I've been able to take my wife and my children on the road with me mm -hmm. and let them see uh, really what it's about. Because so often, traveling is solo. And being yeah. able to take them with me has been really cool uh, to be able to expose them as well. Because awareness and exposure is everything. Absolutely. You know, that's one of the toughest things for me. Um, of course, we love to travel. Um, but at times, it's hard, you know, to take the kids with us because, you know, we, we're flying across the country at times. And then some of the road trips we've had to take, um, they've been in school, so that that's been kind of tough. But overall, man, like you said, just when you you travel and see something different from your hometown and the people that you meet, and like the doors, the doors of opportunity that come op open when you just get outside your comfort zone. It's been one to me. That's one of the best feelings in the world. Is just um, just getting outside that comfort zone. Like I never got on a plane until two years ago when I was 28 years old, and um, ever since then, though, man, it was just like, man. I, like, man, I've really been missing out on a lot of different things because I was so afraid to, you know, get on the plane. I just stayed in that comfort zone. But, man, just getting out that bubble and just seeing what's out there in the world, man, it's, to me it's just so uh, fulfilling, you know, just to experience something totally different. No, um, no doubt. Yeah. But I want to go back a little bit. Um, we talked about your tour, but let's go out to back to the beginning a little bit. Born in Buffalo, South Carolina. Um, what was it like being raised in that area, in, in Union County? Well, I mean, I, I think you only know what you know. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I know that I'm super grateful, I always tell people this as well, is that um, where you're born doesn't determine where you can go. And so right. understanding that, that no matter what, you have to make the best out of where you are. Uh, everybody can make an excuse. I had a great coach that told me this as well. The man or woman is never defeated until they place the blame on somebody else. Mm. And so what happens so often is that we want to blame our situations, our background, our ultimate thing. No, no, no. Listen, where I was born and raised gave me the roots I need to be able to grow in other places. I love Buffalo. Love right. it. Love it because that's where me and my brothers were raised. That's where we grew up. That's where I play ball. Um, and honestly, the community and unity 
because you see here's the thing about it is that as i grew up there i got to meet new people even that little tight-knit community and man that 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 country style living teaches you how to appreciate the small things in life right man i i love being home man like this is to me it's nothing like home even when um like i I had a post about it back in may and i was like man wherever i go i'm always proud to tell people i'm from jonesville south carolina man because i I love home it's nothing like home and it's funny because when i go places people automatically tell me we can tell you not from here because you sound so country. <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm from Jonesville, South Carolina, man, a small town. But I, I always make sure I let people know where I'm from because it's like you say, it's nothing like home. And that's, you know, that's where I, where I learned everything at. So I'm forever thankful to, um, for be, to be where I'm from. Um, some of the things just growing up, how was your household? Like you said you had two siblings. Um, how was your parents? Were, they, were you, you both of your parents there, or how was your household growing up? Yeah, so uh, at, at eight years old, my father left us. Um, mm-hmm. Mom and dad got a divorce. That was a, a very critical time in my life, a very pivotal moment. Um, but, you know, I, I wouldn't change anything, to be honest with you, uh, because, you know, my mom is a superhero uh, in the truest sense of it all. Dude, she can do stuff that I never think of possible and imagine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we had tough times, um, but I also realized it's not as tough as some other people. Right. But for some of us, compared to others, it, it was pretty tough. But, man, listen, my mom is the most optimistic person. She taught me how to love and respect despite differences and uh, encouraged me. And I think, honestly, that's where I got a lot of that from. I'm also grateful for my dad. You know what I mean? Even though he left, um, you know, the whole wraparound story about New Leaf as well, talking about the New Leaf farm, somebody turned over a New Leaf. Now, you know, the greatest thrill of my life is that I got to see my father come back into our lives truly, like, really, really engaged in the last few years. So even mm-hmm. at 65, and I tell people there's no excuses, even at 65, this man stands six foot eight. I swore his heart was as cold as an ice cube and his hands as hard as this table because if he was a welder, I never thought my dad would come back around. Mm-hmm. But when you see a man, a grown man, uh, swallow ego and pride and say, you know what, my bad, I made some mistakes. You see, that for me, even though I missed it growing up, is the greatest lesson for me moving right. forward. Did that have any kind of impact on you and your siblings? Um seeing that your father had left, walked out on you guys, like how did that affect you uh, mentally? Well, I, I think you don't understand the, the impact that it has. Um, and you can either, you know, you can either go one of the two directions. You can either go north or you can go south. <laughs> There's really no east or west to it. Either you're going in the right direction or in the opposite. And so when my father left, man, my mom, she, she told me, and I, meant, I really thought that, I really felt like my mom meant it. She said, son, you can do anything that you want. Mm-hmm. And the statistic is only true if you play into it. Mm-hmm. So the thing about it, she says, no matter what happens, you can do whatever you want if you will put your mind to it. You work your tail off and you treat other people the way you're supposed to. So for me, what happened, uh, Carlos, is that I actually found myself gravitating toward coaches, towards mm-hmm. men. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I would listen to them and I wanted to learn from them. And that boded well for me because that's where I took up sports. And that's why I always wanted to play all three sports, football, basketball, baseball, uh, because it, it gave me that that hunt that drive to compete and um i wanted to win because i felt like i wasn't always winning so was that somewhat would you say you know being around those coaches that kind of helped feel in a sense that void of like uh, having a father figure there yeah and, and again i don't think i really ever looked at it like oh these dudes are like my dad i think i just respected men so much and, and what they stood for and and uh that i just went after it you know I, I won't say that like I looked at them in that dad sense, but man, as far as like listening to what they told me to do mm-hmm. and wanting to win for them, I would definitely say that was a sense of like, 
you know, because as a young man, like, you know, you want your dad to be there. You want to make him proud. And I think even as, as if we can have real talk for a second, mm-hmm. I think if it's grown, man, we still we have that desire whether we want to say it or not. Like, we want to make our dad proud. Absolutely. And, and so with that being said, I think I wanted to make these coaches proud. But in the same sense, I wanted to succeed in sports so that my father would also be proud mm-hmm. as well. So you played football. Did you play baseball and play football, basketball, and baseball? Football, basketball, and yeah. baseball. And I know you played, went on to play football at PC, That's right. Presbyterian College. For people that don't, for that that, that don't know, um, did you look at football as like your vehicle to you know to get away from home and to to succeed in life? Or did you look at football as that vehicle to get you to the next level? Well, what I learned real quick is that there was a. So my, I have to back up for just a second. Junior high, a coach took us to a, uh, a Clemson basketball game. Mm-hmm. And I said earlier that exposure and awareness is everything because if you're not exposed to something, you don't really know what's happening or what's going on. That was the first time I'd ever been on a college campus. Mm. And I realized, I was like, wait a second, you can play sports in college and they'll pay you to go. And I knew we couldn't afford it. My mom was single and my mom was laid off by Buffalo Mill. You know, the textile plants are huge in Union County. And so when she was laid off, that really set us back even more. And so I, I looked at football. Now, granted, growing up in Union during that, during that time, man, I mean, we were winning. Yeah, it was you big time. Be, yeah, you wanted oh, to be yeah. a part of something that was, you know, on, on fire. And then, you know, I, I think any smart man or woman would say, hey, look, if I'm, if I'm succeeding at something and I'm getting accolades and I'm being celebrated, why would I go anywhere else? And right. so football for me was that thing that I took a lot of pride in and, and was able to bring pride back to not only my community but mainly to my family as well. Mm-hmm. I got to talk a little bit about that before we move on as well. You know, you played in that era with some of the greatest football players in in the state. Um, what was it like being the quarterback of that team? Kind of like almost like a dynasty in that area. In that era, what was it like playing quarterback in that era and leading them to a state championship? Well, speaking about it, like makes me close my eyes and chills run down my arm because mm-hmm. it's that type of excitement that still comes over me. It was the greatest years of my life, bro. Because we, when you're winning and you can walk into a, mm-hmm. somebody else's, like when you can walk into somebody else's house and just take their stuff and leave out and say what, like right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, now you know, and that's not what we did, but that's the way it felt. And we were good, uh, but you know, the key was, man, we had the, we had a great defense, we had a great line. And, man, when you would look up in those stands and, and before you would, you'd be traveling away, I remember going to Daniel two hours away. Our side was packed with thousands of people. And it's 6 o'clock, two hours before kickoff. So when you can really bond a community around a sport or any type of thing, man, to be in the center part of that, because, I mean, again, let's be real, quarterbacks get way more credit and they get they way do. more criticism than they need. Oh, yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> and so to be the quarterback of a state championship team was the greatest was one of the greatest years of my life. I remember, uh, like my mom and them, they would they would go to the uh, the state championship games, and they would end up dropping us off at um, at my aunt's house, and we'd just stay there, stay there for the night. And the next thing I know, we'll be going to a parade and see y'all marching down uh, Main Street with the uh, with your championship banner and everything. Right. I was like, man, that was those were definitely some good times. And do you think it was kind of like a good thing that you guys kind of missed that? social media era because you guys did it feel like a lot of pressure too because you guys were just so dominant and just playing with a great team and you know playing with roscoe and and kyle brown and those guys was a lot a lot of pressure on you guys and and are you glad you kind of missed that social media era i I mean it's hard to say i I will always err on the side of i'm so thankful i didn't have social media when i was when i was in you know high school and college um Mm -hmm. so no i'll take it the way i got it 
because who, who knows how it would have come out on the other side. Could have come out worse. It could come out better. I'm going to play it safe on this gamble and say, hey, I'd rather not have social media, mm-hmm. and I'll just take it the way it right. was. I saw earlier, um, I meant to tell you this also, Marcus Porter, when I announced that you were going to be on the podcast, he um, he posted a, uh, the muscle flex, and he had the football emoji. And right after that, I saw a picture where you guys were sitting side by side for um, – uh, signing day, you know, National mm, Signing Day. I remember that I saw that picture earlier today. Um, so I was like, Marcus, he's he's also supposed to be coming on. Marcus, so if you're watching this, I haven't forgot about you. We, we're gonna have to sit down for a conversation, but um, shout, shout out to Soda Potter, yeah, <laughs> but Soda, he, that's what that was always the nickname back in the day. But Marcus is a good dude, man. And he, um, but I seen that picture. Do you remember National Signing Day and choosing uh presbyterian college i can remember like it was yesterday uh and here's the thing about it is that uh so i wasn't the fastest i wasn't the strongest Uh, i i was very fortunate to have good academics and be on a team that was winning that was i mean let's be for real and then the other thing was that everybody wanted roscoe and kyle so they were just trying to sign you to the school hoping that they would come along with you let's Mm -hmm. be for real i was being used as bait as well uh but I, I, re- I remember that night before specifically because Charleston Southern at the time was trying to um, really get their f- imprint on their football team. They had just started. And I was on the telephone until 2 o'clock in the morning. I hope this, you know, we're, we're past statute of limitations, so I'm, I'm sure this coach probably didn't coach anymore. <laughs> but I was, on, I was on the phone with him until like wee hours of night. He was trying to talk me out of it and go sign with Charleston Southern. So, like, those type of pressures are something that was real. You, mm. Nobody can teach you how that is. But, man, I, I remember that day uh, of signing, you know, that letter of intent, knowing that I was going to PC, knowing that I was going on a full ride. And, you know, my hope was to be able to fulfill that, you know, four-year degree at PC and, and ultimately be able to help my mom get out of, you know, of our situations and, and get a great degree. And, obviously, you know, the story didn't go the way I, I had planned it. But uh, I do remember that day specifically sitting at that basketball uh, table on the court right there. Had it not been for – for football, do you think you would have gone to college, or was it just something that that you just That's didn't a great think question. about? Uh, I, I think I would have gone to college for sure. Um, now, mm-hmm. where uh, you know would have been way different. It would have had to have been something that was a little bit more affordable. But uh, I, I would have definitely gone. My mom was always encouraging us, you know, to go get your college degree, son. You know, get your benefits, get those types of things. And uh, but yeah, probably it definitely wouldn't have been PC mm-hmm. at that time. I, I know it's way more now. It's like thirty six thousand dollars a year to go oh, to it's PC. Oh, it's expensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, did you have a lot of support growing up, like as far as like your uh, your mom, your brother? Did you have a lot of family members that used to come to your games and support you? Oh, no doubt. My my mm-hmm. mom was always there, man. Like my mom is the greatest encourager ever. Um, and, and my middle brother, you know, Michael as well. He he was always at the games, and uh, you know, a lot of family also supported my father. You know, my father would come to the games as well. Um, but as far as like on that ongoing daily support. It's definitely my brothers and, and my mom. And my mom is, she's golden, bro. You said, I saw on your website, it said you, you struggle with addiction most of your teenage and adult life. Uh, do you remember when you got ex- exposed to, you know, to addiction and what happened? Yeah, it was young, man. It was probably like, I, I would dare say, you know, really tried something. It was like probably 12, 13 mm. years old. Um, I, I remember plenty of times of uh, after junior high, you know, would, would go over and, and, and start smoking weed. And, and then, you know, I, I can remember several times my freshman year riding with some kids to school, uh, you know, smoking before you'd walk into school. Fools, man. You know mm. what I mean? Like, I think about it now. I'm like, you didn't think nobody smelled that. You didn't think nobody knew that. Like, you're a, t- like you're a kid. You know what I mean? And so 
that's where it started because here's the thing about it. Uh, I talk a lot about seeds and weeds. And, and what I mean by that is that there's certain things we want to produce in our life. And then there's certain behaviors that happen that will take over you being able to produce that. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of those behaviors that was something that I needed to get rid of because it was really overtaking all of my potential. I was really good at being able to serve two masters, and I was really good at trying to uh, suppress it and being a functioning addict uh, as I would get older. But ultimately, it's always going to take over. It's always going to come and uh, get the best out of it. Was it something that you did to like as an escape, or did you just do it like just to kind of fit in, or like do you I, know? I would say that it started by fitting in. There's no lying about that. You know what I mean? As, as mm-hmm. young as that, you're fitting in. You're not trying to escape from anything. And I don't think you really understand what pleasure is because really you're young and it's, you know, that wasn't even it. Now, as you get older, it becomes one of those things where you're just looking for something to kind of numb the pain and you mm-hmm. know, get through the day and, you know, you get bored with life. And I hate to say it that way, but that's the truth. But as a early on, I think it started because you're just trying to fit in, man. Mm-hmm. It's also on your website, it said the addiction piled on on top of believing lies about your purpose. What did you think? At that time, did you think your purpose was? I lost it. You know what I mean? Like, I I knew that when I was coming out of high school that I was supposed to play college football. I knew I was supposed to get my degree. I knew I was supposed to lead uh, others. But what happened is that I I couldn't find it because I was so smothered and swamped out by all of the addiction and all the lies I continued to tell myself. So here's what started happening. I started comparing myself to other people. As I began to compare myself to other people, what started happening is that it started to rob all of my potential because comparison is the thief of all joy. Comparison is the thing mm-hmm. that's going to make you feel like you need to be this or be that when that's not who you are. Really what we're called to do is just be the best that we can possibly be and, and, and really get into that, that type of mindset. So my potential was robbed um, by me. Let, me, mm-hmm. let me not try to act like something robbed it. No, no, no. I have made those choices. I have to take ownership for it, and I do. But, uh, man, I spent 16 years uh, running from potential, running from things that were tough, running from life. And ultimately, I never wanted to step up and do what I needed to do. I thought if I just worked, I provided for my family, everything was straight and everything would be good. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, if you're not, it, that's not what life's meant to be. Life's not meant to be a nine to five, just getting by paycheck to paycheck. Life is so much more. And uh, I'm just thankful that I can be on, on this side of it. Absolutely. What was it like? Um, so how, how long did you actually stay in college? So I, I went to Presbyterian for a year. And uh, I quit. I dropped out. And uh, for the next couple of years, I would work. Uh, Ended up going back to USC Upstate back in about 06, 05, 06, and uh, completed my degree and graduated there from 08. Um, So, you know, when I went back, and they always say it's always different when it's on your paycheck and it's on your dime. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't miss classes. I was on the dean's list. You know what I mean? Like, I I excelled. You know, I think I graduated with whatever one of those – Summa, 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 boomer, 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 whatever. Yeah, you know what I mean? Kumaris. Whatever they call them. Yeah. <laughs> Some type of honors. But I only say that because, man, I, I wasted so much uh, of the opportunity. And that's why I try to go back and reach out to people and talk to those kids that are 18, 19 years old that are student athletes that, that really come from small towns, that come from those at-risk lifestyles. Because here's the thing about it. Life doesn't ask you what cards you want dealt. Life tells you to play the cards that you're dealt. And if you mm-hmm. really want to play the hand and win, you got to play what you're given and not ask for your cards or his cards or her cards. And so at the end of the day, um, you know, that's what I really owned up. And, and again, I still was struggling with a lot of stuff personally, but I, I did go back and get that degree completed out in way. Just curious, um, being being the guy, you're the, you're the quarterback of a, a state championship team, um, being the quarterback, 
did did you feel like people somewhat or I'm not even sure if they even knew about it but did you feel like somewhat people kind of enabled you to get away with some of these things of course you say you you all you own up to it but do you feel like at times some people may not have held you accountable if they knew about it because oh, no, you are no. the quarterback and you're of a state championship team well here's the thing Carl. you're, you're going to surround yourself with people that will be your approval of what you do mm-hmm. so if i want everybody to be the yes man that's who i'm going to put in my corner right <laughs> mm-hmm. i don't i didn't want people to hold me accountable mm. so i'm not even gonna let you be around me and be close enough to me to hold me accountable now did some people try to speak some truth into my life all day but i again i man get out of here with that you know right. I, I know what's bad hard-headed 18 year old hard-headed 19 year old right and so I, I believe what happens so often is that we find ourselves in situations where we will only go to people that, that we know is going to give us the answer we're looking for. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. for me, yeah. I was yeah. just sitting with people that was going to support the habits because that's what they like doing. Why would I be around you if you didn't like what I did? That just seemed crazy. So so there's no doubt that some people enabled, but at the end of the day, I only would put myself around people that, that was going to support what I was right. doing. So you leave you leave college, and it said, said that you got into the, the restaurant industry. Yeah. And then I think it's eventually over time on the website, it said you, you, met, you met your wife. Did she initially know about the issues, the things oh, yeah. you were battling with? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But see, I was a function. You know, here's the, here's the, the deadliest part is that when you're a functioning addict, and here's the thing also about it. You know, on the surface, I mean, it wasn't like I was a mean dude, or, you know, trying to do this or do that. None of that. I, I, I've always just been this person that loves people, you know what I mean? And just friendly and get along with pretty much anybody and respects you for who you are. But uh, what, what I learned is that my wife, I, I mean, granted, it was puppy love. You know what I mean? In the beginning, right. you're infatuated. Yeah. You're just like, hey, whatever. And you look past everything. Mm-hmm. And then I think later on, it might have come out to where it's like, Wait a second. Now we got to deal with all this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So uh, she knew. There's no doubt about that. But I also was able to mask a lot. And, and I don't think she really had the complete understanding, like I didn't, of how bad it really was. Mm. So then uh, did you ever feel like it was a point where you had to, I know I said you split up from your family for a little while, but did you feel like it was a point where, you had to choose between uh, your addiction or in your family. Like, how, how was that? Yeah, so so often, man, I, I my whole life. So I spent 16 years, 365, one quarter day for 16 years, every single day in some type of bottle, whether that was some type of drug, pill, uh, or, or alcohol. That was where I spent my life uh, for 16 years. Mm-hmm. Now, again, I held a job. Again, I came home. You know what I mean? Like, all these things that you could say, all right, well, I'm not as worse as this or, or bad as this one. But I think selfishly, selfishly, I was always looking for for the personal pleasure over other things. Um, And Mm. uh, what I realized is that in 2015, when I when I decided that I was I wanted to go and party and not have anybody hold me accountable. And my wife always told me, like, hey, Joe, you need you know, you you, this isn't healthy. You need to stop doing this. You know what I mean? Like this isn't going to very this isn't going to be good for our family. And uh, 2015, I was just like, all right, I'm going to run from it, which is really what I noticed was a pattern. This is what some people, I think, struggle with is really noticing a pattern, recognizing it, and calling it out. Because if mm-hmm. you don't call it out, then you're not going to be able to find a solution or find the people that can help you. And so, again, in 2015, and like in the college, when I left college, I ran from what was hard. And that was me changing my behavior, me changing my habits, me changing the environment so that ultimately I could embrace what was hard and be able to come out on the other side a stronger person. Mm. Did that kind of trigger you, you know, like I say, like you talk about that pattern, did that make you think about your father and how he left and then you ended up doing the same thing that 
that your father did. Yeah, I, you can't you can't not acknowledge that. So there's definitely a piece of it that because here's the thing, we know that life is cycles, right? Mm -hmm. And either you can break them or you can play into them. And and so um, what I was doing was playing into it, and I thought about it. And honestly, I was still so foolish and so, uh, if you want to call it intoxicated, but so focused on that on that personal pleasure, that temporary uh, pleasure of the addiction, because you don't you you justify everything, and you rationalize why something's happening this way or that when you blame other people. And so the key was is that I didn't want to do it. And so as I left, I was planning to it, but then as I thought about it, I was like, Nah, something's got to break, and it's going to start with me. Mm -hmm. Did you so at that time were you still in Charlotte or did you come back home or nah, so when I went my wife we were in Charlotte uh, we moved back to Jonesville um, in oh six okay and uh, then we, we were in Jonesville for about five years and then we ended up moving uh, to Ohio 2011 and back to Charleston 2014 what would you say was of all of that um, leaving your family um, what would you say was kind of like your lowest point of like uh, well, the wow, lowest man. point was being, you know, pretty much homeless for a couple of weeks, uh, just living out of my car, bouncing from state park to state park. I had no place to lay my head. I had no place to call home. Mm -hmm. But the low point was when I was lying face down in bed one night. It was about three o'clock in the morning. Uh, at this time, I had actually gotten a promotion at work, and now I was making the most money I'd ever made. I was responsible for about 100 people under my supervision. Uh, it's three o'clock in the morning. I had been partying all week, all night, and uh, I was too high to get up, and I was too high to go to sleep. And when you're laying there and you can't move and you're laying there thinking about, man, I'm just months away from divorce. I'm, I'm probably past due for when I should lose my job because of the way I'm behaving. That was rock bottom for me. But my mom did something, uh, made a huge impact when my father left. I had this situation that kind of happened around the kitchen table when I was an eight year old. And uh, I got up and I, I just basically I had spilled some cereals. I was trying to pour it because I was just so uh, overwhelmed by these emotions. And I stood up and I started crushing them all over the floor and like crying, just angry. And I told my mom, I was like, man, I was like, this is all over. I was like, this is over. Father's gone, like everything's done. I'm finished. Mm -hmm. so my mother looked at me, she spoke three words. And these are the three words that played in my mind in 26 scenes I laid there in bed. My mother looked at me, she said, it's not over. She said, it's not over. And so as I'm laying there in bed and I can't move, I can't think, I can't sleep. All I could hear were those three words, it's not over, it's not over. And so as I realized, is that even in that moment, even though I had made so many mistakes and had left home for eight months, I was out of my house. I realized that it was not over if I would just make that decision to step up, man up. And so that was rock bottom. But it also, I've always told, uh, been told is that rock bottom can either be the place that you stand on with the firmest foundation or it can be the place that buries you. That's mm -hmm. the choice of how you look at it. Either you're going to get up and stand on it or you're going to get under it and, and crawl and hide and let it bury you. Absolutely. So... So with that being your, your rock bottom moment, when did you feel like things began to shift and um, finally start turning back around? Because eventually, you know, you got back with your wife and your, yeah. your family got intact. When do you feel like things started um, turning back around for you? Uh, I mean, later on, it got a little bit better. There's no doubt. I mean, I still had some ups and downs because, man, when you come out of a 16-year-long addiction, uh, it, it's hard. It's hard, mm -hmm. hard. And uh, I started making some turns, but, you know, for, for me, it was my fate. And that was the big thing that really was the, the turning point for me. Uh -huh. And so as I started finding myself uh, really helping going back and serving other people, because I don't believe that you can really live a fulfilled life until you go back and you start to sow seeds in other people and serve them. Absolutely. And so as I started mentoring some, some youth and, and really helping out at the church and leading some groups and stuff like that, 
I started to notice things turning. And then when I noticed that I wasn't counting days of being sober, that I started looking at the potential of moving forward in the future. It was back in, uh, I think, 2017, I wrote the first list of goals. I had a guy by the name of Bobby Lutz, and Bobby Lutz gave us a goal sheet, 10 goals first year. And uh, I started writing goals down on there that was like crazy stuff. Didn't sound crazy to anybody else, but I remember one of them saying, I'm going to do 10 speaking engagements, and one of them is going to be paid for. And I remember writing that down on a piece of paper, and by the end of that year, um, I would do about 34 speaking engagements, and I had three paid. And that was when I said, wait a second, mm. this is what's up because something's starting to turn. And for the first time ever, I started to feel like I did when I won a state championship at 18. Absolutely. And I always talk about writing stuff down. I, I, I tell people, man, for me, when I'm accomplishing things, like even when I'm traveling to different places, any goals that I have, I write it down, put it on paper, and I keep it somewhere where I can see it. I think that's so critical to, you know, write the vision like the scripture says write the vision and make it plain mm -hmm. and i think it's so important to write it down so you can see what your goals are so you can have something that you can actually work towards because most people now a lot of well, i almost want to say most a lot of people don't have these things written down or like have goals or anything that they no, want to achieve in you're life right. you're right most, most. actually yeah. brian tracy study says three percent of I mean, americans I'm, only three percent have clear specific time bounded written goals three mm -hmm. and you know what typically when i ask audiences i ask them how many of you have heard uh, that we should have written goals is important. Most of the hands go up. And I say, all right, hands down. Now, how many of you actually have them written? About 2 or 3%. Mm -hmm. So it's actually an overwhelming majority don't. Exactly. And I always, it's crazy. Like, I was telling, when I was in L.A., I told the lady that I interviewed, I said about four or five years ago, I wrote down on a paper when I was first started doing my podcast, I said, I, I wrote down a list of people I wanted to interview. I wrote down some places I wanted to travel to. And I said, you were one of the guests that I, that I wanted to have on because I just love how she was so outspoken about things. I said, I didn't know when it was going to happen, but it would just happen to be like, I had you on my sheet of paper. And uh, it's about four years later, out in LA, um, I finally had her on, but it's so important to, it doesn't matter what your goals are, just write it down so you can look at it and yeah. you can have something that you can work toward. Um, but it's, it's so critical, but like we say, a lot of people don't. Well, no, and, and here's the thing. It takes you about one hour max to write 10 goals for the year. That's it, about mm -hmm. one hour max to truly write it all the way out. And then the other piece about it from the neuroscience side of it actually talks about that what happens is between the two sides of our brains is that the reason that goal writing is so important from a neuroscience standpoint is because when we just imagine and dream, that's one thing. But we have all these different wires that run back and forth. What it tells us when we write it down is that now our brain has told us that it's actually real and that we should accomplish it. So now both sides of your brains are working together from your imaginative to the actual piece of saying that it should happen. So there's deeper, deeper than just saying, oh, there's another motivational speaker, some dude, you know, personal development saying I should write goals. All right, cool. But there's also a lot of science behind it. And here's the thing. Do you want to be 42% more likely to achieve it? Exactly. Write it. Do you want to be 85 to 90% more likely to achieve it? Write it and then have that accountability partner. Because now you've increased your chances of improving and getting it. But so often people want what it looks like, but they don't want to do what it feels You're like. You're going to put, put the work in behind it. That's right. That, that, um, this is a little secret I haven't even told a lot of people. So I, I released a flyer for the self-investment tour. And I've, I've done about half of the locations already, but the other half, I haven't even... Uh, set up any interviews or anything in those locations. I, I challenge myself to figure out ways to make something happen there. Love so I, we have Tampa, Florida on there and uh, Denver, Colorado and uh, some, some other places on there, but 
the other at the bottom half of it I haven't even figured anything out but it's like man I write it down and I force myself to challenge myself to figure out ways to get there but um like I said writing goals down and setting your having your intentions about what you want to do in life is so critical and um you know, in my book, I talk about things like I didn't know what I was going to do in life or what I wanted to be growing up. I just knew I wanted to go to college and, and you know, be successful, but I didn't know what it looked like. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know anything really about setting goals. I just knew to go to, go to school, make good grades, um, graduate from college and get a job and just stay there. But I didn't really know about, you know, finding my true purpose and having goals and figuring out what I really wanted to do in life. But kind of, uh, you know, talking about your family and all, what did it mean for you, for your wife and your kids to still, you know, everything that you were going through to still stick by your side and have them right there? Yeah, man, I, I think it speaks volumes about just the unity and the commitment level. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. here's the thing about it is that if you're willing to fight through it, then ultimately on the other side, your reward is so much greater. It's so mm-hmm. easy for us just to throw in the towel and walk away. But, man, to know that my family is stuck with me. And the thing is, is that to know that my family can see the ultimate example of what it's like to make a mistake, to pick yourself back up, dust yourself off, so to speak, and then get back up and keep trying and pushing forward. You know, my youngest daughter, she doesn't know the other dad, but my oldest children do. And that's a testament, again, of what they can go back out and share because it, it's not over. It doesn't matter no matter where, what situation you're in, no matter if you put off a degree, no matter what it is, no matter if your family, you know, somebody's messed up, so on and so forth. Uh, my family lived out that model of just true, unconditional love of just saying, hey, you know what, we're going to love you. We're going we're gonna to keep pulling for you. We're going to keep rooting for you. And then ultimately, now we get to be on this side of the rewards because I'm telling you, I had no idea life could be this good. Right. Was that a tough conversation to have? I would assume... It would be tougher with your kids because they're young and they don't really understand everything. Was that a com- tough conversation to have um, with your man. family? Absolutely. I mean, th- th- I tell people all the time the hardest decision was telling them that I was leaving, my wife. The second hardest decision was swallowing my ego and telling them I was coming back. Mm. Because <laughs> you, you make a decision, you're like, man, forget it, bump this, I'm going to burn a bridge. And that was my thinking back then, right? Uh, but then I realized I had made a mistake and now you got to go crawling back to the place that you just pretty much told you no good I'm good I'm thank you know I'm, I'm straight so to to have to say that was a swallowing of pride but it was the greatest decision I've ever made because like I said it was a tough conversation but now on the other side we're so much stronger because we've been refined through all that mm-hmm. and I think for me it's it's a little bit of a it's everybody's gonna have a different perspective but for me it's kind of hard for me to imagine because you know my dad was um always in our life um he was hard on us uh, at times when we when we needed that discipline but um my 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 dad was i always had i was fortunate to have both my parents in my life you know some kids they don't they don't have that they're they're unfortunate to have that and i remember at times it would be kids um at school when i was younger they were like your parents are still together i'm like yeah i thought they were supposed to be which they which is a good thing if they are but you know for me is it's hard for me to kind of imagine those type of things because I never really went through it. But I, I definitely sympathize. But I know that's a definitely can be a tough situation. A lot of kids um, go through those type of things. So, yeah. so what what helps you um, when you speak to the to these audiences? What do you what message do you try to deliver to them? Because I know you know everybody's circumstances are not going to be the same. What what kind of message do you try to preach to them? Well, I, I think the ultimate thing is is, is you be an authentic you. Mm-hmm. And that connects with people all the time. I don't, I don't try to be anything any different. I'm going to give you the good, the bad, and, and then we're going to build from there. 
But I think there's two true messages. The first is, is that you can produce anything in life that you want to produce mm-hmm. if you'll truly work the steps. The second thing is, is that life is going to punch you in the face. <laughs> it's just yeah. going to happen. Oh, yeah. Whether you want it to, whether you don't, when you least expect it. But always remember that message that it's not over. No matter what, pick yourself back up. Keep fighting. Keep pushing forward. And, uh, you know, when I leave people, one thing that I want them to know is, like, you know what I mean? Like, that dude was real. Like, I think he really came in here today because he wanted me to best me. I don't come in there to collect a check. I don't come in there to just talk about me and just, you know, look at me, look at me. But I, you know, none of that. What I do at the end of the day, I want when I leave those people that they walk out of there being like, son of a, I was ready to throw in the towel. Mm-hmm. But now I'm ready to go back and fight the fight. And that's that's what I try to teach them. Absolutely. So what do you do now <clears throat> personally for yourself? Because like I said, uh, every day is not going to be a smooth day. Mm-hmm. Everybody's still going to go through things. But what, what do you do now? Um, being in a position that you're in to like what do you do to handle those moments of adversity now i think the key is that you you have to always give yourself grace even when you don't Mm -hmm. even when you don't make the the decisions that you wanted to or you don't get the success that you thought that was going to happen you got to give yourself grace and realize you're only human now here's the thing uh i think it was walter bond that said it that uh you can only throw a pity party for a couple of days and that's all right that's Mm -hmm. natural that's human to get down but you got to pick yourself back up after a couple of days and keep moving forward. And I mean, we've had it. I mean, we've had it in our family. We had, a, you know, a, a miscarriage last year, and I think maybe within a week I was, had to go and keynote a conference. You know what I mean? Like, and so what you got to do is that life's going to happen to you, but you got to embrace it. But you got to get yourself back up and get back out there and fight. And then I think too, man, for me, uh, the big vision for me of, of that I want to leave enough resources for four generations. And so by doing that, I know that there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, Confucius says that on Earth you get two lives. The second one starts when you realize you're only given one. And so the fact that I got that second life hit me in 2016, I only get one life, man, and, I, and I'm going full speed ahead. And I don't mean full speed running away or around my family. I mean doing it with them and making sure that I'm intentional about those moments uh, of where, you know, when adversity hits, how do we, how do we encourage ourselves, pick ourselves up? And then I think the last thing, man, is that we're built for community. And if you don't have community around you, good people, then you're not going to be able to pick yourself back up solo. It's just, it's almost impossible. I, I, I didn't get to ask you earlier, but <clears throat> I know we was, we spoke about your father not being there. And you kind of looked up to the coaches and, you know, just respecting those men. But did you, when you talk about community, did you have any mentors or people in your corner um, at that time or at any point in life that were kind of trying to be there? Whether you try to, whether you listen to them at that time or not, but did you have anybody that was kind of like a, a mentor for you? Yeah, I mean, my brothers were instrumental. Man. My middle brother, Michael, always wanted to play a big role and really trying to coach me up and, and guide me in the right direction. I believe also I had a couple of cousins. And, and then, you know, the coaches always, I mean, the coaches were always trying to stay on me and keep me, you know, directed and, and focused in on where I needed to be. But um, I didn't have any other, like, what I would call mentors. It was just some, some dudes that were in my life that were really trying to coach me up. Um, and, and, and just guide me in the right direction. Now, most of them I didn't listen to. Right. <laughs> I think when you well, when you're younger, when you're younger anyway, <clears throat> people try to give you advice on different things. You know, it's just he one of those. He that. ain't trying to hear all that. Unless you're really wise, and I wasn't really wise. And exactly. At the time, man, I was for me. I was just like, I'm, I'm young. I'm just want to live life and and enjoy it, man. But you you think you're gonna stay young forever, but you don't realize how fast that time just flies by, man. And it's just like. Knowing what I know now, I wish I would have listened to them and took some of that advice. Um, 
but well, you well, live me, and you learn though yeah well let me pause here for a second too and just talk to anybody that's in their 20s if you're 19 or you're in your 20s right now i don't know what your demographics are or your audience but i bet somebody is if you don't have a clear direction and plan and you don't have somebody that's mm-hmm. coaching mentoring that, that you actually are listening <clears throat> to and taking coaching from you're going to waste every single year of your 20s I agree. So you're going to wake up one day and your 20s are going to be gone, and then all of a sudden you're going to try to get serious when you're about 32, 33, 34. If you got to take it serious now, because here's the thing about it nobody wants to hear, oh, Joe, you're trying to rob my fun. No, bro, I'm trying to like really set you up to where you can be the most that's, successful. That's a fact. But what I watch is people, and including myself, waste all their 20s because they, they think that every day is going to be there. And what I told you earlier about you getting that second life and you realize you only got one, and in 20s, you think you got like 14 lives. You only no, got one. That's a fact. And so if you don't have directions, Zig Ziglar says if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Mm. That's another fact as well because I spent 16 years just wandering aimlessly trying to figure out where I was heading to. And so for those that are in their 20s, man, I think the key is to, to really pick up on the fact that, man, like I, I, it's not – like time doesn't tick so slow. Mm-hmm. It really starts to go by fast. And if you can get a head start at 21, 22, 23 – I promise you, you won't have to work as hard at 35. Absolutely. And I, I think a lot of that comes down to, you know, one of my mentors told me, Ben Hall, um, he talked talk about, you know, being in a space to receive a message. Um, because a lot of times, if you're not in that space, mm-hmm. it's just going to go over your head. And for me, I know when I was 21, I know it. I know exactly where I was. I know exactly what happened when I turned 21. And it was, it's, it was. You didn't act up, did you? Oh, did I? It was. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the stuff I was doing, I, I wasn't this person I am right now. I can tell you that for yeah. a fact. I was just, oh, man, we we just said we had a, a, a good time. We had a party, and it, it ended early for me. I know that much. <laughs> but, um, yeah, just being in that space to receive that message right. because when I, was, when I was 21, man, I would just, you know, when I would look at TV, when I looked at college and watched, like, college parties on TV, but when kids would go to college, you would just see them party and having a good time. You didn't really see what really goes on in college. So I'm thinking that's what college is. You're going, you're going to party, you're going to have a good time, yeah. and that's all it is. But then towards my senior year, I'm I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, I only got a, another semester left. It's, then it's getting real. I'm out in the real world, and I didn't understand that. And then once I finally walked across the stage and I started working, you know, having children and, and paying bills, it was like, man. I was like, man, I, I, I wasted all those early years in college just having a good time, but not understanding, like, the real world is coming and it's here and I need to prepare for it. So I think a lot of kids, um, but that's why I appreciate what you're doing. I think a lot of kids need to understand that now. It's like you said, don't waste your early 20s because that can set you up for the long run to do what you want to do in life. And um, But, you know, for me, I, I just didn't understand it at that time, <clears throat> not knowing what I know now. Yeah. But it's so it's so crucial. But I, I I think I said um that's one of my things. That's part of my book as well. It's like I wanted kids to understand that um kids that are graduating high school or, or kids in college. When you read the book and understand the message inside of it, it's just like understand what you're going to college for because you don't want to go there and waste your time and money, especially if your parents had to take out loans to help you get get there. Because yeah, no my my parents. They, they weren't fortunate enough to go to college, but they took out loans for myself and my brother and my sister to go. So mm-hmm. I didn't want to waste that. You don't want to waste that money that your parents um, take out for you to uh, to go to college. That's right. Uh, a few more questions, and we'll get ready to wrap it up. Um, kind of actually talk about uh, the motivational speaking. I know you say you got a promotion at your job, and you, you were um, doing really well at your job. How did that intertwine with the motivational speaking? 
Yeah, so so speaking has always been a nag. Like when I play ball, you know, you get interviewed for TV and radio all mm-hmm. the time. And I actually went to college to major in speech communications because I realized that I needed to tune up how I spoke, confidence with it. And so I've always enjoyed speaking in front of people, speaking to people in general. And so as I was working for the school district, uh, I was over our professional development and, and then became over our training program. And so as I continued to do that, uh, I remember coming off stage once. It was an all-team meeting of like 400, 450 people. And I gave this talk about, cool. you know, knowing your why and use some examples, Martin Luther King Jr. and other people that had really lived that out. And I remember when I walked off stage, I had some people come up and be like, hey, man, like, that's what you need to do. Like, this right here is what you need to do. And that was somebody who took time to really notice something and spoke it, you know, kind of into me as well. And I enjoyed it. I loved it. Like, I got, I still, I get so excited. People say, man, your energy is on another level. And it is because when I'm in it, I'm in my zone. I'm in my game. And so that's where it really started uh, evolving. And then in, in, you know, in schools and stuff like that for professional uh, staff development, there's a certain amount of continuing education units you have to get every year. So going to conferences is a, is a routine thing. And so as I started going to conferences and listening to other people, I remember calling my wife one day, 2017 Atlanta. I was like, man, I was like, this is what I want to do. I was like, one day, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to conferences and get paid to go and go speak. Mm-hmm. And then lo and behold, just about four or five years later, I get to do it full time. Mm-hmm. So what was that moment like? Because I, I, I like to ask entrepreneurs and, and people in your position, like, what was that moment like when you knew it was time for you to take that leap of faith when mm-hmm. you, you walk away from that job? Because a lot of times, we don't do it because we have we feel like there's security and we want to stay there okay. and play it safe. So for you, when did you know it was time you know take that leap of faith? So uh, I, I battled with that for a minute because I, I never could get clear on what it was. And then you know a, a lot of people started telling me this and telling me that. And what I realized I had to really go back to what you know what the Bible said about making wise decisions. So there was three things that I did. The first thing I did is I consulted you know counsel the wise. I went to people that were smarter than me in business smarter than me in the faith and that was way stronger than i was and i started counseling with them and, and getting like hey look this is the idea am i crazy second thing i did is i did a lot of prayer and fasting like i spent days of just fasting not eating not you know and just drinking water to really get my mindset to see is this me or is this what i'm supposed to do and the third thing i did was i counted the cost and basically i had to really figure out what made sense for my family because everybody's number is different mm-hmm. and then i tell people all this time uh tell them all the time is that you know i thought i had faith you don't have faith until you cut off your direct deposit. When you cut direct mm-hmm. deposit off, now let's see who you believe in, mm-hmm. right? And so for me, it was that piece right there. And what I've learned is this course is that, man, all of what I'm doing right now has zero to do with me speaking. Nothing. Like it, the business is booming. People want to talk about it all the time. All this has taught me about faith. And because you think, as a, especially as a man, you think you're the one that's bringing home the money. You think you're in control of so much. But when you give up that one piece what you realize is that you weren't in control then and you sure as heck ain't in control right. now because um i couldn't have i couldn't have written this the, the the chapters and the stories the way it is and so for me knowing it i had to go through those three processes absolutely and it's like you said you you cut off uh one of my favorite entrepreneurs uh t- that i watch now is patrick bet david and he recently had a video where he was he uh quoted a scene from um from uh dark night rises and basically he was talking about you know letting go of that rope and just you know taking that leap of faith and it's like man it's it's scary it's like but it's, it's never going to be a perfect time to you know just mm-hmm. go out there and do it. you just have to you know make that move and that's one of the things honestly i could say for myself 
that I struggle with. It's like, man, I love what I'm doing, but now it's like it comes to a time where work is kind of interfering with what I really want to do. It. And it's like, man, I most of the time, like you said, we're our own worst enemy. And so I get in my head about a lot of th- I got in my head about flying to L.A. And just traveling by myself sometimes, I'm like, man, am I sure I really want to do this? So I say, I'm, I'm always in my own head. So that's what I struggle with now. It's like, man, it's getting to a point now where I'm thankful to have a job. But it's like, man, it just, it's getting harder and harder to, you know, go in. And, you know, when I know that's not really what I was meant for me to do. That's right. So it's kind of like that thing where you just like, eventually you just got to let go. And, I'm, and as I'm talking to you, I'm still like in my own head. It's like, man. I need to be taking my own advice and, you know, just taking this leap yeah. of faith, man. But it's still one of those things, like, it's, it's tough when when you have children, you have a family that you have to provide for. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, um, I always say I, I, I never want to show them that it's okay to just settle and just stay where you are. Yeah. Here's, here's the other thing, too, and I'll tell you this. Here's what I, I, I recognize, and you got it, and anybody else has it as well. Uh, coaches used to tell us all the time, like, go out there and, and like, let that dog out. And what mm-hmm. they were saying is like, let that wild, like let that thing that's naturally you, because really we've made ourselves super comfortable. Matter of fact, we yeah. work so hard to get even more comfortable and complacent. And what we're doing is that we're actually caging that animal that's really inside of us. And so what I realized at the end of the day, I said, man, no matter what, I've never, I, I've already been, I've already been at rock bottom. I've already been poor. I, I can go back there and no problem, still be happy mm-hmm. when I walk around the yard. I'm straight with that. But what I realized is that if I don't release the dog, and that's what I, I'll tell you as well is like you, 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 the more you play safe, the more you're trying to cage a wild animal that's inside of you. And when you let the dog out, oh, mm. what you can accomplish on the other side of it is, is so much greater um, because a lot of times we want to play it safe. And, yeah, there's a fear piece. Let's, let's be for real. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the end of the day, I guarantee you, you won't fail. I guarantee you, 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 you will find a way. And that means if it's Ubering, taxiing. Uh, folding towels, whatever it mm-hmm. is, cutting yards, you'll find a wow. way. And I'd rather be a dog in my own pen than be a dog in somebody else's pen. Man, one of my my uh, favorite quotes that I remember my uh, like I tell you, Ben Hall, who owns Big Ben Desserts, he uh, he told me um, we were actually at uh, he had a man of vision Bible study last Monday that I went to, <clears throat> and I remember him telling us he said it during the first time I interviewed him, and then he said it again last Sunday. He's like, no matter what, you can't we can't get out of life alive. So while we playing this safe game is if we're going to make it to the end of a video game and somebody's going to say, congratulations, you made it out of life alive. He said, no matter what, you're going to leave the, here just like anybody else is. So don't try to play it safe, you know, take chances. And, um, but like I said, it's, it's just tough at times. Like it gets scary. It's like, man, I, I don't know, but I know eventually it's, it's getting to that point now. It's like, man, well, I'm trying to schedule different things and go here and here. And then, you know, work kind of intertwines with it so it's like okay something's got to give yeah. so so at that point it's like man i don't know so we're gonna i know we're gonna say this interview and look back on it over time and like man i finally you know i love it i can't I, wait to see it absolutely just a few more questions um you said it was uh alex sheen's uh speech that kind of uh resonated with you can you talk a little bit about this speech and like what was that message in yeah. it yeah uh, yeah, so this was so I had just found matter of fact I had just found out like a week or two that my wife was pregnant with uh, our our now youngest um, Bella, and when I went to this national conference in Atlanta, I was go I was in the right mindset. I'd already been a year sober. Uh, I was ready to grow. This was my first national conference that I was going to, and uh, I mean I was hungry. I was so hungry when I was in that place. And this dude did the closing keynote, 
and the whole principle behind what he says, he has a whole organization, go look it up, because I said I would. And he talked about that so often, many of us won't make a promise because we're afraid that we won't keep it. Mm-hmm. But he says that he also believes that not only do we are afraid to keep it, but we're afraid to make it. And so what he challenges people is that whatever it is before, do it because you said you would. Mm-hmm. Because he, what he said, oh man, this is oof, this is deep. What he said is that his dad, you know, may not have been the most athletic. His dad may not have been this. His dad may not have been that. But he could count on every single time that his dad was going to show up for his games, for his matches, for his whatever. He said that's what he could always depend on. He said because you can pretend to care, but you can't pretend to show up. Mm. And that deep. was deep. That's it deep. was deep yeah. because at that that's point. That's a fact. And so when I left out of that conference, my thing was I said I'm going to make it every single one of my wife's doctor's appointments because I said I would. And, uh, you know, I was able to uphold that. But by writing it, by keeping that commitment, because you can pretend. If you think about it, how many people in your life have said, man, no, 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 I really care about what you're doing. And they don't ever show up. Yeah. The real people, and this is what people should start doing at parties or celebrations or whatever. Look at the people that showed up and thank them because everybody else said they would, said they cared. They didn't show up. Mm-hmm. And so his 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 um, message was so profound, not only because of the content, but then the other piece was how I watched him take audiences through all these emotions. He had folks crying, then laughing, crying. Mm. He just had you on this wave. And when you walked out, bro, I I was ready to take on the whole Southeast uh, all my way back to Charleston. But that was a very, very impactful uh, speech for me. And not only from a content, but then from a professional of like, okay, this dude, he's a real, and he walked out with jeans and a t-shirt on. And I was like, that's dope. I bet that man just got a four thousand dollar check. That's a that's a powerful <laughs> message though. Doing doing what you say you you were gonna do. I think that's that's so important, man, because you like a lot of times people say like you said, people say, Man, I'm gonna show up, I'll be there and then they don't show up. But then you appreciate it and you respect it more when people actually keep their word and they show up, man, that that's, that means a lot to you. Yeah. Um just a couple more questions. Um the moment of that um the biggest lesson that you what would you say that you learned um, from everything that you've been through? What would you say, looking back on it all, what would you say was the biggest lesson that you learned? I think the key is to do what you know is right instead of what others want you to feel is right. Mm-hmm. Do what you know is right because at the end of the day, you know what's right or wrong. You know what you need to be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. Right. But people will make you feel one way. And what we've learned is that we got we're we're really emotional beings. People like to think we're we're logical beings. You're emotional first before you're ever That's logical. Fair, yeah. <laughs> and so you can't do things based off of what you feel. And I'm talking about you you may not feel like working out, go do it. You may not yep. feel like going home and, and being intentional with your kids because you're tired, go do it. You may not feel like you can make it to the next level, go do it. You may not feel like you're ready to make the leap, go do it. Do what you know is right, even though people may make you feel like what you're doing isn't right. Absolutely. Um, when you spoke about those conferences, what do you say, what do you look to get from those conferences when you actually go to them and, and what do you try to learn from? Extract Man, I, from them? I go there with pen and paper. Even if I'm the keynote, I'm still sitting in everybody else's sessions, pen and paper. Mm-hmm. I believe that what happens so often, we, we've been tricked to thinking that knowledge is power. Knowledge isn't power. Applied knowledge is power. Yes, yeah. And if you don't write it and you don't go to receive it, I tell people this too, for those that are watching video, all the time, man, we hold on to these thoughts and we go through these same habits with closed fists just like this. And somebody's trying to walk up and hand you something, which is a gift of knowledge at a conference, 
and you won't ever receive it because you're so closed off from really receiving because you're there for all the all the wrong reasons or maybe you just went there just thinking this isn't for you you can't learn anything and then all of a sudden we're like okay i'm gonna open up i'm gonna be a little bit more uh, receiving but you still can't receive the gift until you turn those old thoughts upside down until you're actually open to receiving them and so when i go to a conference i'm gonna tell people is this like hey look what no matter what i came up against before no matter what experience I had before, no matter what somebody said before, I'm opening up this time and turning over that old thinking because I want to walk away with my hands open, just ready to receive the gift of knowledge to go back and apply it. And that's what I go for conferences. I'm looking to network for people mainly, mm-hmm. but I'm there for content as well because, and I'm always watching, like if it clicks with me and I see it click with the crowd, then as a professional, it's my job to take that back and, and you know, do some type of replication of it as well absolutely what, what would what advice would you have for anyone you know pursuing their dreams or just that's going through something that's trying to overcome those obstacles what advice would you have for them do it do it when you don't feel like it <laughs> do it when some people tell you, you can't do it uh my my speech communications made my uh i forget the actual class name but she was she taught you how to speak and she graded you and it was an advanced course she told me to never speak in front of people again. She said, because mm. of your accent. She said, because you don't pronounce your INGs. She said, you cut off the G. Just do it. If you know that's what you're supposed to do, just do it. And here's the thing about it. You're going to have to do it, and you're going to have to sacrifice stuff. And you're going to have to do it mm-hmm. when you come home from your 9 to 5. But you still got to do it if you want to receive what's on the other side. So for people that want to do it, stop talking about it and just start doing it. Absolutely. Then my final question that I love to ask everyone, this is the um, Cross the Line Podcast Self-Investment Tour. Um, So I love to ask everyone that comes on, what does self-investment mean to you? Well, ultimately, if I was breaking down the Mm. two parts of it, you know, advancement is something that I think we have to own for ourselves. Mm. And how do we grow in this specific space? So for me, I, I think what we have to do is look at from self-advancement that I can move myself anywhere if I'll truly own up to what needs to happen. But I also believe that I need the favor of the Lord and I also need to make sure that I'm surrounded with the people in the group that can help me advance because going alone is one thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but having other people that's gonna help push you and get you to the next level. And then I think for me, as any champion will tell you, never settling. For what you just did celebrate it don't get me wrong celebrate it but champions never stop when, when you Absolutely. see a team win a national championship they're always looking for how do we advance our team to the next level because what we realize is that just because you made it to the top doesn't mean that's your permanent location absolutely and the same is true at the bottom absolutely joe i want to thank you for taking the time to um share your stories being inspiring man i really appreciate it um i gotta ask you this also because you 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 uh quoted a lot of successful um self um well i guess you call it self and self uh self-improvement yeah yeah. those those motivational speakers um who who are some guys because like you said brian tracy was somebody i started listening to maybe about two or three months ago and i love how he just breaks things down so simple and easy uh who are some guys that um, you know i know you said uh eric thomas earlier yeah Uh, who are some guys that you think people should listen to with some oh, of your favorites as well man this, we, we're gonna be here for at least 10 more minutes <laughs> all right so you got eric thomas inky johnson um you you have john maxwell you mm-hmm. got jim Rohn, you got zig ziggler you got ed Milet. yep i like um, you got gary v yep uh you got craig rochelle mm-hmm. and there's uh one of my favorites right now from a business standpoint is uh, oh my gosh his name just left me business made simple 
Look up the podcast Business Made Simple. His name just completely left my mind. Uh, but so I listen to a lot of those guys. Walter Bond is another one of my favorite uh, motivational guys. Les Brown, of course, all the, the goats of, of motivational speaking. But I, from the, man, I'm telling you, if, if I am not speaking with somebody, I'm listening to something that they're saying. Because here's the thing about it. Mm -hmm. You start keep feeding that subconscious. You know, I, I, I didn't realize the quotes. We didn't prepare any of these quotes that come in. It's just when you keep feeding that to your brain, it becomes part of your language. Mm -hmm. So be very careful about what you see, what you consume, what you hear. And, and those are some of the guys that I love to feed into me. Yeah, and that's so crazy. We was talking about that because for this month, that I made a list of things that I'm that I was going to just do away with. So I said no no soda, no music, which was a tough one. So, cause normally in the mornings, like get in the car headed to work, I have some music going or whatever. So it's no music, but so far so good. No, no midday naps. Cause I would come home from work sometimes and, and get a little nap. I so, don't know about all that. So now, no nap. Now, now I have, I have taken a couple of naps so far this month, but I, I've been doing better with no midday naps. Uh, there's no complaining, no excuses. Um, just basically just getting getting the work done, but the music was one that was really tough. But so far, uh, no music. So on the way here, I actually had uh, the Secret to Success podcast on with uh, Iggy Johnson, um, the Counterfeit Passion episode, the one from about three four years ago. But uh, yeah, I just basically been listening to motivational speakers and um, just trying to challenge myself to do something different, like mm -hmm. uh, just shifting that paradigm and just doing something out of the norm that we normally do. It's just like. You know, just like you said, you go home, watch movies or something, or you play some music. Like, I'm challenging myself to do something that I normally wouldn't do. It's tough, but, I mean, I'm. Uh, it feels good, you know, just try to challenge myself to step out of my comfort zone, out of my norm. You okay. got you got any books that you yeah, uh, so so coming out in October, uh, be sure to go to www.JoePettaInspires.com. That's J-O-E-P-E-T-T-I-T, -T -T Inspires, with an S, dot com. You'll be able to see all the information, follow on social media. Cease to Success, the book comes out in October. Uh, just been meeting with the publisher a lot here lately, touching base. Bro, I'm excited to put it out in space. Uh, somebody asked me the other day, they said, is this going to be a hard book to read? I said, have you ever heard me speak? Uh, no, bro. Like This is going to be an easy book yeah. to read, but it's very applicable. Uh, at the end of each chapter, it's going to have what I call the harvest implementation exercise, meaning so we're going to do some call to action study guys at the end of each chapter because I want to make sure you implement it to get the true rewards of the results that you're looking for. It's a journey uh, of writing this book, but I'm excited to put it out in space in October of this year. Right. My, my, I got one more, my last and final question. This is going to be it. Um, you know, being a, a, a public speaker, um, you're traveling, um, and it takes a lot of time away from your family, but you're doing something that you're passionate about and you're helping people all over the, all over the country, all over the world. Yeah. How do you find that balance? Um, because I, I like to ask entrepreneurs that as well. I remember last year I asked Joe Foster, the founder of Reebok, the same thing. Um, because he said basically at the time, he was basically just a man in the house just paying the bills. But he was trying to build the Reebok brand so much that he had to be on the road. And he w took a lot of time away from his family. How do you find that balance? Or, or is it a such thing as balance? So I had a great guy, uh, named Timmy Smith, one of our uh, next-gen pastors at the church. He, he used a different word. He said balance, I don't know is really, I don't know if you can really attain balance. He said, but what you want to make sure is that you got alignment. Mm. And now alignment starts to shift. So even though I may be spending more time away, is it all aligned toward the vision of what we're trying to do as a family and leave this legacy and this imprint on, on generations to come? 
And so the hardest thing for me right now, man, is trying to balance time. Now, my wife and daughter were with me at the, at the gig today, uh, and I try to bring them on the road as much as possible. But I think everything aligns up because here's what I know. You can be present at home, like physically present, and be there 40 hours a week, but you're not really present. Mm. You zoned out. You're not intentional with the kids. What this makes me do is every minute, every hour that when I get back home off this busy tour, is that it makes me be very intentional and I am locked in and loaded. And I think I'm more intentional in one day than I used to be. And some people are in a, in a week or a month because it really makes you zone in. So I think the key is that even though you're tired, remember I said earlier, do it even when you don't feel like it. I'm about to drive three hours back home, but I know my little girl is going to be wanting to play and color, you know, some, some, uh, Rapunzel or some type of color uh, book. Yeah, and even yeah. though all I really want to do is just veg out for a few seconds because I've been around people, you know, so much can't man and so the key is alignment does which one aligns and you need to make time for resting too but here's the thing give yourself grace you can't beat yourself up and you got to make sure that you're intentional when you do get the chance and don't blow it and don't waste it because um as your partner said as well is that we're not going to make it out alive make the best of everything you got while you're here absolutely man that's a perfect way to end this interview that was some great advice that 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 really hit home for me a a, a lot because i know for me you know I'm so, so driven and I know I have these big goals and at times, you know, even when I'm with my kids, sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm playing, we're having fun, but I was like, okay, daddy got to get back to work because I got to get this done and this done. And it's like, okay, I'm about to get on the road and go to this interview. And I was just like scheduling stuff. So it's like, like you say, you can be there like physically, but then your mind is just somewhere totally, totally somewhat totally different man but so that so that piece of advice is so diff so important especially for me so i really appreciate that because that's something i need because that balance well I, I like what you said the way you put it like the alignment is is, is so important no but, but joe i thank you again for your time and i really appreciate it this was a great conversation i know the people back at home are going to enjoy this interview when they you get a chance them? yep they're going they're going <laughs> to enjoy this interview and, and shout out to marcus again man because when he when he uh more to come in earlier for some reason i just went and i saw that picture of you guys together though so that was that was that was great to see man and just to just to be a part of that for you to be a part of that history and have someone on the platform that that did a lot for the union community bringing the state championship home and that being a part of that dynasty that they had man it was an honor and a privilege to have you on so i really appreciate it privilege is all mine appreciate it keep making an impact absolutely so before we get out of here can you tell everyone how to find you yeah, absolutely. Find it on any of the social media channels you're on. Uh, very active on Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube as well. And it's uh, Joe Pettit, J-O-E-P-E-T-T-I-T, -T -T -T, and then at JoePettitInspires.com. And uh, look forward to connecting with the people and uh, just putting back that value. And we'll have the book out as soon as I can get a pre-order link. We'll need the people, especially from Union, to come out and support. But anywhere globally, I know who is watching and listening to this. Feel free to pick up a book as well. Absolutely. So, Joe, I thank you again for this uh, taking the time to sit down. Hopefully, everybody enjoyed this episode of the Cross the Line Podcast, Self-Investment Tour. So, till next time, keep chasing your dreams. Thank you for listening.